sip on the go with a Starbucks iced shaken espresso. Our signature roast, shaken with ice, then finished with a splash of milk. Customize it to match your style on the Starbucks app. Make today a good day. Yo, yo, what up? Welcome back, everybody. My name is Peter Agostin. My show, The Houseless Podcast. Uh, today's episode is a pretty special one. This is a follow-up or a part two to a conversation I had uh, that was published well over a year ago with Peter Collins, a.k.a. Manifest, on episode 71. If you go way back, this is a kind of uh, continuation of that. Let me bring you up to speed a little bit if you're totally unfamiliar with my guest. And um, uh, I go pretty far back with him in regards to when I lived up in Humboldt County. Uh, I went to college at Humboldt State University. I lived in Arcata and I uh, was DJing a lot, performing a lot. And I met um, Pete just through shows, basically, and Panache Magazine. And I don't know, it goes back. It's a really small community up there, especially when I was there. And uh, we ended up, uh, he was he was a rapper, and I DJed for him, basically, on a bunch of shows locally around Humboldt County. Um, and we did record a bunch of material together, and he would come to my sessions. You know, a lot of people don't know, I, I re recorded many albums of me rhyming and uh, just for fun mostly so he would hang out at some of those sessions and and so forth back in the late fall of 2006 um peacock kind of caught up in some pretty nefarious activity um and him along with a couple of other people decided that it was a you know a wise decision to uh, pull a, a caper uh, on a casino in Northern California, and um, they uh, got made away, got away with quite a quite a large sum of money. Now, in in episode seventy one of the Houseless, which I encourage you to go back to and listen to if you have yet, Pete details this uh, um, pretty thoroughly. So the whole episode of him and a few other people basically robbing a casino and then but i'm not doing this as a way to glorify that or glamorize it um it's a pretty dumb move honestly and um and he was caught and captured by the fbi and uh, local authorities because he'd crossed state lines and that's a little bit more about that's where we left the last conversation at and this is this episode is where we kind of pick it up and from when he was captured to his time in county jail in Washington State, and and just the harsh realities of uh, of this catching up to him and catching up to him very quickly, so he was you know largely driven by an addiction that started with oxycontins and and, and escalated relatively quickly um, to heroin. And uh, after several injuries and, you know, he, he was prescribed these oxys and then that just like spiraled like and that's a story that's obviously very popular in this country. Um, and so he detoxed in county jail. He, you know, he's a hustler. So he was hustling in county jail as well. 
So we talk about a little bit of everything here, and I had wanted to follow up with them. The last episode was recorded in Oakland, California. This one was recorded in Oakland, California. In fact, um, fun fact for the podcast listeners, um, I recorded this on the same day that I did my DAX interview. So I was up there. I actually also went to Hiro Day all in the same day as this was recorded. It was a, it was a busy day for me, for sure. So it gives you a little more perspective on my recording schedule, too, when I'm traveling to do the podcast. Um, and if this happens to be your first time listening, I encourage you to subscribe. It's available wherever you find podcasts. Um, shout out to the whole Pantheon uh, team who now host my show. And you can get it at, at megaphone.fm. So it's on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Again, I feel like I'd be uh, um, remiss not to say this again and that I want, if you listen to this, you know, Pete's a very articulate speaker in a way, and I want you to look at this more as, as uh, a cautionary tale to not get caught out there. No matter if, if you're in the throes of an addiction, especially an opioid one, um, or you're doing any kind of hard narcotics, and alcohol or whatever it might be that um, you can use the the story that that Pete tells here that manifest tells us as a way to kind of know that you can that you could spiral as far as that direction where you rob uh, an establishment for you know six figures in cash make it make a mad dash and go on the run and then you get caught and then you go to jail and then you sweat it out in hardcore detox in county jail where no one gives a fuck about you. And he, he was lucky enough to not have to be in jail for a very long time. So, again, don't do that. And uh, make the right decisions. And if, you're, and if you need help, you know, seek it out, you know. Um, and Pete now is all in a much different place. This, is, this has happened, obviously, over a decade ago. So... And just because we have a long personal history and we're friends, he was uh, generous enough to give uh, his time to talk about this now ancient part of his life. He turned his life around. He's a functioning member of society and all that. So, and I appreciate him being as candid with me as he was too. So, and and I like episodes like this um, where it's not about music it's just we're getting so deep into someone's life story that um you just can't replicate it it's so unique to that human being and um, that's kind of the reason why I, I always wanted to do this podcast as well so anyway without further ado um going to go right into this conversation with me pete collins aka manifest on the house list Go back, listen to episode 71, scroll back, no matter where you listen to this, and uh, and go back and listen to that one, even if you need to before, because this is the part two. The last one ended kind of abruptly, so this is where we pick up. Either way, enjoy, I appreciate your time, peace y'all. Okay, so check it out. Um, it's been over a year plus, I think, since last time I talk to you since we yeah since we recorded this thing (laughs) and um you know and since then i've been wanting to try to get with you and the way i left it 
with the last show was that eventually uh, one day that we get back together and, and record this thing. Yeah. And we've uh, seen each other several times. Yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah. But, but you know, it's not always easy to sit down and have a long conversation, a concentrated focused conversation like this. Totally. So, um, you know, with your blessing, I'd love to be able to kind of get, pick up where we left off and, and close the, the book on this now very 10, over 10 year old story. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, you put a bow on it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can say that. Yeah. So I know that, like, you know, we left things with your story kind of at a very specific turning point, a pivotal uh, point. Um, now, if you can jog your memory and bring yourself back to that place, then we can kind of guide ourselves through what seems like the the was it 48 hours it was a couple of months there's there's definitely a few different phases of what happens to you after uh you um are rated yeah rated so yeah i so yeah i think uh where we left off uh was pretty much during the raid um the laser lights smashing through my our little hideout our safe house uh in Marysville, Washington, north of Seattle, maybe half an hour, uh, where we thought we were all nice and cozy and uh, safe. But uh, um, again, I think um, I can reiterate, I, you know, I sensed at that point that something was going on. We had been on the lam- uh, on the lamb, unbeknownst to me, we were on the lamb because there was the investigation was underway for uh, I want to say a month, at least. Actually, technically, it was all the way from like. Uh, the day after Halloween, like November 1st or 2nd, when the heist occurred, and then uh, all the way through December 15th. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so basically, I'm sitting there after the bust, um, cuffed. We go through the thing with her dad shows up, which was uh, a shocker, and, uh, you know, he threatens me. So I, they put me in the cop car. They put her in the cop car, uh, my co-defendant and co-dependent, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm in the, that's right. And then I'm in the, uh, the, the Marysville substation. They count the money. Um, they tell me what's there. They tell me how it's very close or, you know, approximately the, the same amount is that was stolen. And uh, then they even say it, it's the same, the same bands were used uh, to, you know, um, you know, separate these stacks of bills. The bands were... Oh, fucking like every other band of uh, uh, putting every other stack of money uh, uh, among the whole nation. It's the same shit, but they're like trying to say we've got you dead to right because these rubber bands are used in the the, sh- the, uh, the casino. The yeah. Yeah, yeah, and again, like they were as fucking generic as any freaking napkin or any right. paper cup. So, so they're trying to play that yeah, card on. Yeah, you. they were like, we, we, we got you. I said, you don't have anything. There's nothing. I got some fucking money that I've been saving. And they want that dead to right situation to go mm-hmm. down to to kind of wrap it up. Yeah, because right. they want an admission. That's yeah. all they want. They want me to you. say, oh, shit, the jig is up. You got me. All the time I'm like, what the fuck am I? What did you guys raid me for? Why am I locked up? Are you arresting me? And they couldn't even arrest me uh, for all those hours. 
even though I was obviously under arrest, but I wasn't trying to, you know, fight too crazily because, you know, you can hastily say something that may incriminate yourself. So mm -hmm. really, I should have never said a word, but me being me, a little standoffish at times, downright confrontational. I was holding my ground as an innocent guy that's walking around, you know, you know, <laughs> a couple hundred racks uh, under my bed at miscellaneous places. Um, but it came down to... They did have the 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 black tar, well, the heroin, oh. and they had the, uh, and I think it was under a half ounce, about a half ounce at that point. But if I recall, I had about um, like two ounces when I left Humboldt. Um, personal use only. <laughs> Quite exorbitant. And that, yeah, that's a lot. But I mean, it's I guess it's important to make that point because it's not like you were doing anything else with it no i've never sold any of it it was literally all fucking for use and we used it prolifically uh quite luckily too because you know when you're messing with those types of amounts and you're kind of still new to it um you know fortunately at that point fentanyl wasn't part of this whole cutting that you hear about now and there wasn't yeah. overdoses rampant across the country like there are now um, it was just good clean quality genuine opiate you know derived heroin yeah. so i also had the guns um which i don't know if i mentioned last time one thing i'll never forget is one of the when i when i was driving away or getting driven away in the cop car i remember one of the big uh, federal guys was talking to the main uh, uh, investigative detector detective um, uh, and he uh, and, and one of the guys said he said okay so you got the firearms and one in the, the 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 detective said yeah we got we got that little like it was a, like a double style like 22 revolver which means it had long range uh, bullet capability or long range shells for like you know hunting like sniper style even though it's okay. 22 oh, and then and then we had um and then there was also um the, like the magnum which is like you know for like short range blowing big holes into stuff and that's kind of nice for a cheesy little pea shooter 22 uh, right. anyway it was an antique and then 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 and so i heard him say yeah we got that 20 we're 22 and then we also got that sawed off that 12 gauge and i remember specifically he's like this is gangster 101, man. <laughs> like they thought they had the fucking kingpin with this yeah. fucking cheesy ass. I think it honestly, it was like a fucking big five, like duck shooter. Um, it was just a pathetic like, and I sh cut it off obviously because yeah. that's what you do. You, you know, I didn't need a fucking goddamn long fucking barrel rifle <laughs> toting around. Um, anyway, so um, so yeah, so I just remember that 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 gangster one oh one. He was like fucking yeah, we got this fucking G, yeah. uh, pathetic. But anyway, so I'm at the substation, um, and they they say okay, we're booking you, and I'm in on drugs and guns, which is no you know, lighthearted matter. Um, I don't care no, what not state, at all. yeah. Um, and 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 so it was a state case. So I was like, hmm. Wow, there's a little potential hope. There might be light at the end of this tunnel somehow, some way. Although deep inside, I know they got me pretty much mm -hmm. dead to right uh, for all intents and purposes. So I'm locked up, um, mm. and they know I was on, you know, heroin. So and um, uh, as well as 
80 milligram oxycontins that oh, I was snorting. That's kind of pretty high dose. Snorting? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we didn't mention that. Yeah. Well, I had taken them for like a fractured back that they wanted to, um, the, the surgeons wanted to cut into me uh, several times in the, the years prior from several different injuries, one of which is a football accident. And I had three different car accidents in my life that put me through windshields um knees busting through glove boxes and whatnot but yeah so i've had a fair amount of body traumatic you know carnage um so um they uh so anyway yeah i was on the that's how it started just like the whole tale of american you know like you know the the whole locker room you know heroin or whatever uh it's like the oxycons got me on that i started selling them because i could make five thousand dollars a bottle of fucking oxy 80s um and i was buying them with an insurance through AAA that gave me another deal so it was like two dollars a pill and i was selling it for eighty dollars a pill upwards of eighty a lot of times I'd sell the whole bottle like all at once, um, $40 a pill. So I don't know if that was like 3000 But anyway, yeah, every couple of weeks, every month, that was a nice little paycheck sub- subsidized um, by our wonderful Western civilization medical pharmaceutical company. But that's neither here nor there. What? Yeah, and this is that's kind of a sidebar. I mean, but yeah. I, I think that does, I guess, play into why you got where you were heroin yeah that's exactly why because i started selling them all and then all of a sudden i had a back spaz again Uh, at some point it ceased i was incapacitated i started eating up all the pills and then at one point someone had a pill at some place in eureka and i snorted it because he couldn't give a whole pill to me my back was gone and so i snorted it and literally that day like so many thousands of other kids you know you start snoring that shit and it's just that's it that's like better than heroin it's cleaner it's more smooth it's a fucking warm fuzzy you don't have a pain in the world not Uh mentally emotionally and definitely not physically you know uh, you could look back at the you know the opium fucking era of china thousands of years ago silk road yeah it's like there that's a real thing and i can't even you know be mad at him i get it so so i'm hooked on oxys and it turns out i run out of that what do you get you get the fucking next best thing heroin it's like a fraction of the cost and there it is you got your you know garden variety fucking heroin addict junkie smack fucking (laughs) sick man so what how did you what was your looking back now because obviously that was a long time ago and you've changed like in many many ways like just like how, how do you view that period of time like where like i mean you must have had some close calls too or just like like overdosing or yeah, like or just like this the day-to-day like um getting around being like you know a functioning addict yeah. you know like well i mean initially my i guess my uh my 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 retrospect is revealed uh i mean being an well, artist even an addiction thing i don't want to be as presumptuous yeah. to even say that i'm sorry but. Well, no 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 um and that's weird it, that's a pigeonhole that i've always had problems with addiction uh being dependent and this and that i will fully admit yeah that um there was two points where i realized that the the the, the enjoyment and the recreational use of and and even previous medical necessity of opiates um was it was required for me i i could actually function as a you know a damn near invalid like my back so i was so incapacitated with pain there was times in my life when i was teaching school my back would go out i would i couldn't even move 
around in my bed, I could definitely not get up to go to the restroom in the middle of the night because mm. my back, I would fall and I was like, it was like two uh, ice picks jammed into your spinal column. And Damn. I don't know, I don't care how many gunshots and how many fucking car accidents you get in. That, that's a pain that fucking demobilizes you. So I'd have to like piss in a freaking milk jug next to my bed. Yeah, because you couldn't get out of bed. Couldn't get out of bed. Right. It was just so, it was like in the hospital. I learned that trick in the hospital, you know, yeah. when you're in the ICU and you, you are and you got a piss and you're stuck there you're pissing in a jug so right. um so, so when I, when i had to and i didn't want to piss my bed and you know um i was fresh out of depends um <laughs> yeah i understand yeah yeah i've been laid up in the hospital i am i know you know, I, exactly. and, you know i've had yeah. all the tubes yeah. inside of my body man you know that's no fun gig bro that's no i wouldn't like, i wouldn't factor i wouldn't uh, classify it under the fun uh, <laughs> uh part of life yeah. no that's it on the opposite end of the spectrum as they yeah. say so so yeah but like really just in generally speaking yeah um i i will coincide what you're saying uh, I I was at this time quite hooked on the drugs mm -hmm. because my vision was cloudy, my planning, my plotting, my overzealous bravado, which put me into doing this job. I think I may have alluded to previously on the first half of this yeah. uh, tale. I, I, I was planning to do this a year later. I had this other job, which I, you know forget what it was okay. but <laughs> I, got I, I was gonna do uh, we, I flipped the script I was influenced by my two co-co-co-d's that um mm -hmm. we want they wanted to they were feeling a little amp wanted to get some cold hard cash quick I you know agreed because money's money whichever job but I knew that the casino was going to take a lot more planning and a lot more meticulous a methodical process uh to undergo and further pull off uh but the drugs clearly got into my head and it made me go, you know what? I'm a fucking pro. I've been doing this shit for a long time. I'll just, you know, I, I, I didn't say I'd wing it, but I had the plan. I had the strategy. Everything set, the disguise, the fucking layout, the logistics, but I didn't properly go over the plan with the two, I guess you would call it novices, the two, mm. you know, and so because I didn't run through shit perfectly with them, it's so consequently the few mistakes that were revealed, which turned into full evidence, um, were the, the cause of our demise and subsequent arrest and incarceration. Okay. So and that um, came to I was, be revealed, like when you were in Maryville, or? the the addiction stuff, or the well, the, the evidence, the evidence. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's so the fans are thorough. They do investigations like no one's business. No one on the planet is more thorough with uh, gaining evidence, manufacturing evidence, or maybe suspecting evidence, and then being able to uh, cultivate a plan or a route that leads to the alleged concrete evidence mm -hmm. uh, i know this is a bit abstract but that's what an indictment is okay an indictment is they write the story they write the tale in my case it was a 27 page indictment that drops on you uh that you're given and and before your you know um sentence or before your tri trial begins so that uh, indictment for all intents and purposes is game tight it's locked and loaded and it's ironclad you're not going to be able to win against whatever indictment they have because that's how the math of this works it's a science so yeah. you can't win that's why they have 99.9 .9 success rate because 
if you read top to bottom an indictment, it's it's the, all the evidence is presented and all the facts and all the stats and all the figures. It all leads up to guilt. Period. So, but the problem with an indictment is that it's half of it, if not more, is speculation. It's their assumptions. It's their presumptions the feds that is and the investigators and then they build on each of those thoughts and those processes and then they gather and they get and then again they formulate certain routes that will lead to that so it's a fuck system and it's genius on their part but really it's systematically like fucking setting up and mm -hmm. you know people might just laugh at this but we know it's up it is real there's no joke about it and they do great because of the government so but to to reel it in here um back to uh they knew they they couldn't arrest me if if they had me dead right they would have arrested me on the spot for the heist yeah clearly but what did they arrest me for, for they, they have a manhunt across three states and they arrest me for drugs and guns now think about that what the hell does that even fucking accomplish drugs and guns so what do i do i get arrested i'm put in there on drugs and gun charge I'm going to fucking bail out, <laughs> of course, because yeah. there's no federal anything. It's like I'm not there for fucking felonies, five felonies, because I never got this indictment yet. I got charged. So what do I do within like a couple of days? Oh, they, they bailed um, my gal out. Within 24 hours, my gal was able to get bailed out by her folks who put a house up and got her out. She had no priors. She had nothing. So, I mean, they basically were like, because her, because actually... Yeah, no, I'm sorry. That was, I'm trying to think of, they didn't even have to put the house up then. They just bailed her out with like 10 Gs. Right, yeah, right. that okay. comes later when the indictment fucking is dropped. So she gets out right away. Uh, at this point, I have no knowledge on the inside man, uh, Mr. Security, uh, I mean, Mr. Yeah, Security, head of security, uh, who was in charge of the cameras and, and the auto locks. So he, uh, at this point, I'm not sure. I, I do know that he was a, a, um, taken in for questioning right after the uh, actual job uh, was completed. And, um, and that was obviously a bad sign that I didn't have any of that information. In fact, I wasn't privy to that until far later, which is also part of this, the grand picture of why things fell apart and unraveled. Mm -hmm. Communication broke down. So, but me in jail, I was able to contact my gal um, and say, I, I need to get bailed out as soon as humanly possible. And so for drugs and guns, I'm thinking it was, I, I, I want to think, I want to say it was like, fifty thousand dollars i think so it was like no it wasn't even that much it was peddly it was like 10 g's because i remember i was using the security deposit for that mckinleyville courthouse where me and my gal were at i may have alluded to that earlier uh we were living in a house in mckinleyville and that's when we had the general delivery address in mckinleyville that was the last spot we were living to up to the day of the heist because uh -huh. yeah because we got the storage literally the block right, right down the, the block from the house so we had that security deposit literally in the mail and um i was able to get her to get a direct line on it i don't know there was no venmo then but it was like we got cash i think western union ironically because that was part of the evidence later on in the indictment that i sent um wire fraud uh, cash to my the you know my other co-defendant mm -hmm. anyway mm -hmm. uh so we get the check i mean we get the cash she gets a g or 1500 and that's why it was fifteen thousand dollar bail so she gets 1500 it was perfect actually or maybe 12 or 13 and change but the thing is she got the bail money 
And so I'm get, I'm in the process of bail. They got the bail bondsman. They, 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 we had the bond granted, uh, meaning that the bonds, bail bondsman took care of it with the jail. So at this point, it's weird because I'm arrested by federal government. But technically, my case was a statey. Uh, city case. Or, yeah, you know, that's what it sounded like. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I immediately started smelling. That's why I said, I've got to get out and bailed immediately because I felt there was a loophole in here because it just wasn't adding up. They didn't arrest me. They had this whole, you know, thing about me and, and holding me and trying to get me to admit to something that I, you know, clearly had nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, wink, wink. And so I, as I was being processed, uh, and I was in that jail for actually it was a couple of weeks it wasn't fast i went through a detox so when i got out of that go? well it was that was the first time i ever realized oh this is clearly a problem yeah. that's when i pretty deep in your system i imagine so bad I, I was on such a high tolerance i had so i was consuming grams a day maybe two grams personally smoking and then like you know anywhere from like two to fucking six uh oxycontins 80s i mean you do the math on that, you know, that could kill an elephant within, you know, <laughs> doing all that within a couple of hours. But like I said, it was yeah. like a 24 hour thing. Um, so, and yeah, mixing those two is just a, that's just a fucking salad of demise, <laughs> straight chemical, the strongest of, you know, slowing down, downing, you know, heart rate and mm-hmm. blood. It's just down to a fucking whisper of a pulse. Anyway, wow. that's where I was at. So when I get in jail, I immediately, they actually put me in the medical ward straight out the gate because they knew I was arrested on heroin. They asked me, I clearly said, yeah, yeah, I've been doing I've been doing smack. I'm, I'm on that junk. And they're like, okay, so they put me in. They're like, well, you're probably going to detox. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Well, harsh realities because the next seven days were pro- probably the most painful, most nightmarish, most sickly, torturous, self-contained days of my life that I can recall other than you know the weeks after getting shot and um and a couple other car accidents where I was I see you but but like so yeah, what, are the sim- what are the symptoms of okay. that so know, I was detoxing yeah. in jail I mean you're throwing up obviously cold sweats not or? even I didn't ever threw up at all okay. I within 24 hours the pains start the aches and pains much like you know if you fall out of you know a couple story building yeah. and you're laying there and everything's bruised you can't move the crickling crackling of every joint it feels like you've been rusted you need like the tin man you need someone to oil the joints oh wow you're fucking squeaking and with every move you're getting stiffer and more fucking atrophied and then the sweats are immediately every pore of your body is just grotesque cold sweat like clammy clam fucking sticky but the whole time your head is like pounding and you're fucking like having pressure in your skull like you've never known mm. like a like a horrific type of um like i don't know you know that old torture chamber like that iron maiden yeah it's all those spikes are being crushed and pressed into every part of your cellular structure while your head is trying to explode outward and liberate you know the brain matter on the fucking four walls but wow man yeah i mean well that's you know, this is nice. I can talk about it now. Back then, it was just moaning and groaning. Um, yeah. And so it was that profound, the pain and the anguish. 
Um, I couldn't even go into the shower. I couldn't walk across the fucking 10, 15 feet to the shower in the medical ward. They would, this is the real problem. It was basically torture. They know this is going on. And sure, if it's drugs, whatever, yeah, it's illegal. But you know what? Even people that are on Oxycontins and morphine and cancer victims uh, and traumatic war-wounded fucking amputees, these guys are hooked on opiates, um, you know, sanctioned by our wonderful system here, and yet they go through detox. So if it was one of those and I was like a war hero or whatever it was, I would have, they would detox me with drugs uh, and maybe not like opiates, but they would detox you with the, 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 the parallel relaxers and the, the the inhibitors that are going right. to keep you from shaking violently and ultimately having a fucking heart attack, which right. is a high risk when you go sure. from all that. Just like alcohol, if you fucking been drinking and sopping it up for fucking years and you cut cold turkey, you clearly can have seizures. It's a documented fact. Yeah, um, yeah. Your body can't take such a swing from so dirty to so clean detox and that's all it is is all the garbage coming out of every pore and it's so it's just hell hell on earth um everything you see in the movies uh, of the shakes and the jittering you know i.e nick nolte and leaving las vegas oh yeah i mean he did spot on job and that was just alcohol when you got the heroin thing it's nightmare and what was that other movie rush that was um yeah yeah they were kind of the, the junkie meth. couple yeah yeah, yeah. it was luigi's that? Uh, well, um, no, that was you might be thinking of Blow. Oh. Um, oh. Rush was with um, uh, was Rush. Yeah, who's the main actor in that? Was Rush the Speedy Freaks, right? Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, go on the IMDb after this. Yeah, and, exactly. so, perfect. No, but and anyway. now that you mention that, Train Spotting comes to mind, sure. which I'm pretty sure there is a clear detox uh, um, rendering uh, in that picture. A nice little snippet of. Um, yeah, yeah, memories. So do you ever find yourself, like, when did you get to the other end of that? Mm. Was it eventually, like, while you were there, or? Well, just because I'm being honest and candid and yeah, I've never I mean, spoken to Please, keep it on. Well, I, there was, it got so bad in those seven days that I was awaiting. Uh, I didn't, I couldn't even get to the visiting, so there was no contact. I was virtually, like, dead man lying there. Um, there was several times over that course of a week that like they would it was a rotating door and i was in a room with four plastic kind of like they're like rafts they were kind of like kayaks but in each and they were beds plastic beds uh-huh. that were mobile or you know portable and so in each of the four corners of the room there was four motherfuckers that were detoxing oh my god and every one of them was going through their own fucking misery and hell on whatever way. Some guys were puking all over the fucking floor and walls. You smelled that. There was guys that were shaking and jittering in basic seizure convulsions. Other guys were moaning and screaming and clawing at his face. Oh I can God. see it like this. An, a different time on one of the rotations, a guy, he, like, pull, he had to pull his pants down and lay on his fucking stomach because it, he had an abscess on his fucking ass cheek from shooting up so many times that it was like the size of a rotten grapefruit coming off of his fucking ass. And I just was like, dude, is that shit going to explode? And he was just crying and crying. And this guy was like a 200-pound fucking white dude that was just not someone that you'd think is like a, 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 a... you know, a wimping whimper, uh, right. you know, with tears, but it, it was fucking hell. And it, you couldn't block it out. You could put your fingers in your ears, but you just feel yeah. the grim vibe. So, so there was a time maybe after the fourth or fifth day, 
it got so grim. Like, I was dropping and dropping. They didn't give you anything. The one thing they would give you for the first, like, 72, 96 hours was fucking, like, electrolytes, which basically was, like, uh, Gatorade, I think, or some right. derivative of that homemade, uh, you know, county issue. And that didn't do shit. It, like, what, tried to taste good? Uh, and they were like, that's all you need to prevent from, you know, fatality. So it was Jesus. a... No, I swear to God, it was a fucking joke. And so it got so bad. The days seemed like months and the hours seemed like weeks and, mm. and i'm talking about like every minute that would go by the tick and then the talk was a second I, I couldn't take it i started thinking of ways to you know quiet this moment and mm -hmm. end this misery and yeah it was weakness it was just i had never felt that through all the pain and actual physicality of uh, trauma that I've been through this again was unparalleled it, it, which is what's so sad and crazy about this because people find themselves in this because addiction is a disease um, and there's not a lot of help mm -hmm. and you you know we're fed these fucking you know cocktails of drugs that are like totally legal and prescribed and yet then this kind of stuff happens so right. um but yeah so i was thinking of ways and i devised a couple of plans and you know i'll you know i won't go into much detail but it definitely was the first time in my existence that i was thinking to you know close the close the book <laughs> and wow. you know the final chapter epilogue done deal signed sealed delivered i was ready i just wanted darkness and peace and no idea of what would happen you know after that but i knew that it would have to be you know no worse than what i had experienced for those yeah. many days uh you know and I didn't follow through with any of those potential plans, obviously. Oh, yes, thankfully. And thank you. And uh, I'm glad because it, I did turn the corner. I was able to get into the showers in the next couple of days. And a hot shower, once the detox, after about 96 hours, I'd say five to six days of, of torture tremors, I finally was able to climb in across the hall into the shower with the help of a chair that I was sitting on in the hot shower. When I put the boiling hot water on and just sat there, that was the first solace uh, that was restored in those seven days since uh -huh. the crazy raid, the stress, the anguish, the fucking unknown, the pain. Yeah. So, and then those hot showers were everything. I waited like 24 hours to just get that like 20 minutes in the hot shower. And then I started eating solid food. Uh, what kind of food they give you? <laughs> fucking crap like i don't even remember to be perfectly honest i'm i'm sure it was just county food county right. jail food which is basically just fatty starchy salty fake protein type of meat stewish and 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 carbs of fucking goo <laughs> it's just right. and that was like the thanksgiving feast yeah <laughs> it, it only got worse when it was just day-to-day -day meals i'm not shitting Anyone that's been in county can attest to that. Yeah. I mean, you'd be happy, like, um, to get a sack lunch um, for a breakfast, which is typical on a sidebar here. Um, 4 a.m. you wake up in most counties, in California counties across the board. You wake up, you know, uh, and several of them in intake, at least in medical, you get a, a sack lunch, which is basically uh, usually like a very stale, if not somewhat mildewy um, wheat bread sandwich with kind of a like a, a a spackle type of peanut butter flavored entity 
kind of stirred up with some jelly colored <laughs> paste and that's your pb and j okay. and 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 you, and you get a rotten or somewhat goose it, it's basically like a mildewy orange that didn't really have the composure of like a sphere it was kind of like a a lump of citrusy appearing stuff uh. and that was fruit and that could have been either an apple an orange or i don't know something else mm. a, an oversized rotten grape but there also was maybe a cookie or a, a bag with like three half tortilla chips so anyway Jesus but Christ, th and so man. you get two of those bags you get that one for breakfast and you'd save one for like three hours later which is your lunch and then for dinner you get the hot meal which again was take everything i just said and microwave it for like five minutes and Jesus. let it like you know morph into something even different and more undelicious uh, highly nutritious oh, support accordingly yeah yeah because in the commissary what's the deal with the commissary commissaries Chips are great yeah candy? it's all junk food it's all crap it's all overpriced the biggest travesty of commissary in our great state uh would be the top ramen you get a one of those top ramens that we all know and love mm -hmm. um and we buy for 15 cents at you know whatever safeway lucky pay and pack and save mart or whatever you shop <laughs> yeah right and uh and 15 cents but now i'm sure it's a whopping inflated 25 cents for one of those well in our wonderful fucking institutions you can get for the wonderful beautiful inflated low price of like three dollars and 25 cents for a single <laughs> one and a half ounce fucking top ramen which again stale and crumbled up inside its little package um so yeah, that's an inflation of uh, you know offhand. I don't know how many three hundredths percent, or, yeah. you know, but yeah, it's not a deal. But you know, you're desperate in there. You're gonna fucking buy a case of them anytime you can. So um, commissaries, you get sugar by way of Kool Aid. You can get your like loaf, smoked loaf of whatever kind of tube meats. Oh, um, really? Yeah, and whizzy cheese type squirt things, uh, which oh, are kind of popular. And every kind of chip, every kind of candy bar. Which uh, and um, then you could get, uh, you know, packs of rice. You could get like one popular thing that I would always get is like the pork rinds. Mm -hmm. And one thing I learned how to make, which was really good. I mean, the typical thing is just spread. You make a spread, quote unquote spread. What that is, is basically a hodgepodge compiling of all different inmates. We get together, you fucking have a table. You throw all kinds of ingredients basically in the pot. And then the chef, Boyardi, whoever it chooses to be, or Betty Crocker, of course, they they mix it all up and throw boiling water in a pot and like I said take all the ingredients uh, you know candy bars notwithstanding uh, add the water mush it up and let it reconstitute and you basically put lay it flat and press it onto a big piece of plastic or foil or uh -huh. you know granted you have the luxury of any of those um, tools and then you let it dry or not you kind of let it solidify and and then you chop it up with you know like a piece of plastic bowl or cup and then you like dish it out and i mean that's like that's a treat right. yeah and that's like the midnight snack because as i was uh talking about it's 4 a.m for the typical breakfast then it's 11 a.m 10 or 11 a.m would be lunchtime 
at the latest I've ever seen a lunch was like noon. And that just doesn't happen mm-hmm. because that's already like swing shifts are already going. They, they want you done and down with dinner before four o'clock. There's no five oh, o'clock shit. dinner. So if you just do the math real quick, I mean, that's like a 12 hours uh, with no food coming from the county. And, and again, those are being a little liberal, like uh, um, with those estimates. I mean, um, Wow. Uh, it's usually like 4 a.m. breakfast and like 10 o'clock, I remember. Um, for, yeah, six hours later, you have lunch. And then like 2 p.m. was being dinner. Yeah, it would be like 2 p.m. Like a, 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 a normal to late lunch would be your last meal. And then a midnight snack is your first meal. And then you're done. 10, 12 to 14 hours, you're, you're food free. So you have to have commissary uh, to get to your point. Yeah, and, um, so. and you have to stock it up. You have to save it. But me being me, I was always wonderfully capable of you know procuring all the items i needed wanted desired uh out of playing poker um you know winning and then of course i'd use my artistic skills to like make nice little calligraphy like artist renderings of like my my pseudo hallmark cards you know Uh and um just basically script i would write people's poems for them i would write poems and sell them uh and you'd get an item or two for every little thing you did so you could stack up 20 items in a afternoon or a 24-hour session and that's like that's fucking that's bank it's like hundreds of dollars because you'd buy something for like a dollar on commissary and usually it goes um, across the board like the value stays the same uh-huh. uh, but sometimes you get four or five dollars for doing some awesome piece um, way early in juvenile hall I did you know a couple tattoos on guys with like a fucking safety pin mm-hmm. a piece of thread wrapped around yeah, and just some and yeah that's it I mean um, so so um, yeah so and then between that and then my ultimate nut was the moneymaker, the big Pruno, the wine, the jailhouse fucking and brew. You, and you did that? Yeah, I've had a lot of experience with like home brews, like in college, all kinds of friends are doing that. And ultimately, I, I have, uh, you know, some some real experience with vineyards and winery and winemaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from a young age, some of my first memories uh, in Humboldt County were rolling up my overalls in the front of my uncle's barn house, farm farmhouse that is, and and uh, and uh, stomping on grapes inside wow. a claw tooth bathtub out there in the lawn and just watching all that purple dribble into a five gallon drum and doing that for like a whole day and just the legs for weeks it seemed were like purple <laughs> like absolutely dark lavender uh, skin because just thousands of you know grapes uh, huh. and and so that was the beginning of like my winemaking experience not that i ever was a winemaker but i got yeah. Top to bottom, got to see everything from picking grapes to, to the actual science behind it, the fermenting, the you know the the, the bottling, the and then of course the distribution, you know manufacturing. It's a it's a wonderful science. It's a great craft to know, and I was able to apply a few of those little things in you know incarcerated, and um, it's really simple. Like it's a joke how simple it is to make like uh, potable fucking spirits. I well, mean, all you need is a couple of oranges or apples and some sugar 
And, and that's it. And then and it, you put it, what, in the toilet or something? Uh, there's many ways to do it. Uh, I wouldn't do that just because it's a toilet. Yeah. But I would do it basically in a jug. You can buy several size jugs, like, you know, those giant Tupperwares to put your books and your shoes and this and that. So what you need is a bag, a thick plastic bag, which are ample. Everyone garbage bags there. You need hot water, which most jails will offer you. All jails I've been into. Uh, would offer you uh, hot boiling water and to make your foods and your drinks and your coffees, which, by the way, coffee was a huge commodity. That was one of the biggest uh, commissary buy and sellers because mm. of obvious reasons. Sure. And yeah, $3 a bag of coffee, and it was that freeze-dried shit, and it was so good. You know, just get cracked out from that for work for like eight hours straight right. on whatever job you happen to have or manufacture. So, um, yeah, and then basically you boil up like in a bag uh, you boil you crush up the fucking ju uh, juice with uh, whether it is um, lemons you could sometimes procure lemons from like the um the uh, the pod uh whatever they call them the the um the, well, i call them lackeys but you know the the trustees mm -hmm. uh and so those are the cell the, the the inmates that are working for the ceos and they're the ones that are like the the worker bees that give us the stuff that give us the magazines they trade um stuff between cells food you know and they're out of their cells all day long if you're in right. a pod like if you're in a dormitory uh setting which also i am in like humble county is you know known for that in the in the county jail where it's all dormitories essentially which means you got like you know 20 30 40 beds in one big gigantic cell or room right. or dorm and anyway so and then you don't need too much work from like a a, um, a trustee because you have access to hot water you have access to the sinks and the bathrooms and the showers and the library right there anyway so to make the juice, you fucking let you, you you really need a kicker, which means like a piece of bread or a piece of mushy fruit that's already been fermented and already has gone through the stage of fermentation, which is, you know, sugar turning into, you know, alcohol, essentially. Um, and so and so it's nice to have a kicker. Some yeast, of course, is what kickstarts the whole process from turning fruit and juice and sugar into liquor mm -hmm. and that's it so you boil it over over and over you have the big the bag of goods and then you have another bag that that's enclosed in and you just keep pouring hot water boil it day after day you got to let it burp or else it'll explode just like a, a soda pop or a champagne bottle yeah. so every day you got to let out because when it's fermenting the stronger the shit is and the hotter it gets and the hotter you're cooking it the bigger the giant bag gets and that's why it's great to have garbage bags because if you had like a, a sandwich bag it's impossible to blow up before you even barely zipped it shut um so a big bag means you can make a big batch and i would have fortunately it got easy later on in the 2000s when like soda soda machines were implemented and put into all jails so you get a 20 ounce bottle of soda and then that was your all contained bottling you know manufacturing plant like assembly line i'd have like 30 or 40 bottles that i'd save and you hide those you know under your mattress you hide them in a you know makeshift pillow mm -hmm. um or you can it's plenty of ways you can hide them out in the main pot area um and if you're just you know careful enough uh and um so you would fill all those up and then you keep cooking those and you just undo the tops now and then so in yeah, in and okay. so um in the 11 months that I ended up being in Oakland, so I just fast forward, you know. Sure. I, uh, yeah, and, and um, that was the main amount of time that I was in jail um, awaiting trial. Um, so, but between, and so I got caught 
like 11 times in a year. It was, I'm sorry, 11 times I got caught making pruno inside of the year and a day that I was sentenced. Okay. What, what, so it's a, a little bit of a tale between that and um, where I started this little uh, detour of it. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, and then the final time, 11th time, I actually got thrown in the hole for making pruno. So again, but making that jailhouse wine, I made thousands of dollars. I mean, I Did was you? the fucking hit. Yeah, it's like the, I was the local bar. I, I literally was the bartender, dude. I was like the fucking, it's just gold. I mean, you can't even express, it's hard to, you know, um, explain like how much power having liquor is incarcerated because sure. it's the best escape it just makes everything everybody's happy you, you can laugh just out of silly numb brain feelings and whereas 10 minutes before you're ready to strangle somebody and fucking uh -huh. hang them for the top deck or take a nosedive yourself and then you get them drunk and she's fucking jolly everything's happy and so i was slinging shit you know usually it would take like an average like novice like a week to make some shit but i was able to get my time frame down to like definitely one and sometimes two batches in a week like a seven day period and that's and what's a batch it's just one bottle no like 30 or 40 bottles wow. uh, 30 or 40 so that would be several gallons um and then you sling them or yeah just sling them i was slinging them i was getting like fucking and so this one guy uh right next to me who came in a couple of months after I arrived, he in the cell next to me, he had been shot, I think nine or 13 times here in Oakland. And so he came in, he was a wreck. He was like, you know, he was had holes all over his fucking body, wow. bandages. So over the next couple of months, I realized he was getting the best narcotics that, you know, county jail could buy. Uh, and they were, I mean, he was on relaxers and opiates and painkillers. So we became, uh, you know, Buds. thieves, yeah, fast friends, and uh, and uh, yeah, I had what he needed, and he had what I wanted, and uh, and we and we, we found all that out by playing cards together, you know. When he first became conscious and got the jaw unwired, I think from some of the shrapnel bullets. Um, then Jeez. we started, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, when I look at what I, happened to me, and then I look at guys that I was in there with, I was with, in there with. A fucking serial killer that like took out several women like in the Diamond District or Fruitvale like um, of the, around the time of 06 when they saw transpire. Uh -huh. I mean this guy is fucking in the paper and the stories that we heard I never read his paperwork but I mean he was straight he took like two by fours and like I don't know how he like had women like on like uh, you know um, what is it fucking plywood somehow and they found these plywood kind of I don't know, like stretcher kind of things that he made against the wall. And he apparently wow. had women like shackled onto that in his basement or cellar or fucking dungeon, as it were. Jesus. Um, and so there was several different types of blood that was found on these things. And somehow there was two by fours that I remember were the evidence, like the nail in the coffin that had this guy basically going away forever. And he ended up, you know, being a white guy. Um, somehow he ended up on, you know, the same table, like sharing meals at the same table that I was in. Because I was in Pod C um, down here in Oakland, 4th and Broadway, I think. Um, and uh, so, yeah, um, that's where they held the feds um, mm -hmm. and the giant, big, giant crack cases, you know, with pounds of coke and yeah. kilos of fucking uh, heroin and uh, meth and stuff. So, but, so I did jump ahead big time. Um, that's okay. 
but uh, yeah, on that whole Pruno excursion. So, but again, I got out of my uh, detox when I fucking was put into general population and 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 Mary's on. That's when I could uh, get my bail under to, uh, to to underway um, because again, I didn't have much contact for that detoxing week. So as soon as I got out in the G- GP, I was seeing my gal. She was showing up. We were visiting daily uh, or as frequent as um, visiting hours were allowed, especially for a fucking co-defendant. Which mm-hmm. technically, uh, eventually, there would be a no contact law or rule against uh, between me and. And my gal, uh, mm-hmm. but again, slipping through hoops and cracks uh, was something that was somewhat paramount in in the uh, the unraveling of this case and the subsequent um, incarceration of all of us. But anyway, um, so I had her on the the hot track to get the the bail money. It happened. I bail was set. I got out of jail, which was crazy because there was like a federal. Um, footnote on the screen apparently this is what I was told standing there with like two outtake uh, or there's always like two or three computer screens and and agents or or CEOs before you when you enter jail and when you exit because they don't just say okay there's the door see ya pat you on the back you have to go through your medical stuff you have to go through your personal stuff you have to basically sign seal and deliver everything all your information in your life get the documents the fucking time you're going to court or the time you know basically uh, all that stuff so as I was exiting I started realizing how am I even getting out of jail and this isn't even about like guns and drugs this is about the fucking hundred and ninety eight thousand dollars in cash that i'm being allegedly fucking accused of fucking acquiring illicitly through you know like crazy means and um so as and i started realizing um that the outtake was taking a whole lot longer than previous outtakes the few times i've been in jail um which can take up to like half an hour depending on the business Uh and i was like standing around for like a half an hour at each computer and I can't I just noticed like each of the of the deputies or whatever that were there they were just reading and reading on the screen and they weren't saying anything and I was like this is not right and I started by the second window you know I was sweating and I was like I'm not getting out of here because they're reading the fucking shit they're reading the that this guy's a federal fucking you know suspect on a pretty you know substantial size pending federal beef and uh and i just i lost my hope and then i get to the third window after uh, over it must have been 90 minutes and i'm like there there is no they are literally going to turn me back and give me my bedding because you know they call it rolling up when you're getting bounced out of jail or you move to a different cell because you've snitched in that cell or you have gang affiliation that you know or or whatever you, you, they they roll it up you know and then that means you roll up your plastic bedding and your and your, all your gear inside the mattress and you you know you put it all in your hands and you take off and go to where you're going so so at this point when they said roll it up i hit the fucking you know i i hit the outtake and this is like hours and then finally i get to the final one literally before i can see the exit doors uh, and this, by the way, I should know, was Snohomish County Jail, which is in, that a- it's in the great city of uh, I don't know, Everett, Washington, Everett. Ah, yeah, whoa. it's almost a fucking spot on identical sister city of Eureka, if you can imagine oh that. Yes, yeah. wonderful, beautiful and fairyland like. Mm. Um, so. 
So yeah, I fit right the fuck in there. Uh, um, so um, so basically, I got to that third window, and it finally is divulged. The guy is hesitant to stamp me and give me my uh, belongings because he's like, what? He, he he literally is, you know, he's confused. He's like, okay, so yeah, you have court date uh, pending this uh, the substance illicit substance and these firearms but there's this whole i don't know some kind of a blinking like i don't know what it was but it mm-hmm. was clearly a a a, syno- a brief synopsis or some little narrative about a federal fucking I- investigation and in the casino and you know upwards of 200 large and all this stuff and my name in it but yet there was no charge there was no Penal code violated. It was just this thing, and I, it probably said like, "Don't let the guy go, but try to delay him." But there was no one to extradite me. There was no federal guys waiting, so they could not hold me. Um, although we know really they could have, because inside the jail, you know, what am I going to do? I can bang on the doors and walls, but they can ignore like they've proven to do so many times. Yeah. And think of the you know Central Park Five and Lumia. Jamal, of course, Jamal, yeah. yeah, I mean, Geronimo, all these guys. And it's like people are locked up every day, all day, for years and decades, and they didn't do a damn thing, railroaded. Our, our great country is, you know, very prolific at taking care of that type of, uh, of non-offenders. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. so somehow, to, you know, wrap this part up, I... I just start talking, and I don't know how, but I just say, you know, yeah, that thing, that's all been resolved, and fortunately, that's dropped, and I'm not sure why this paragraph is on the computer, but it's clearly clerical error and whatever. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm happy to have been bailed out, and I should have already been, you know, at home now, blah, 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 and I don't know. The guy just got either convinced or fed up with my BS and just didn't care enough to call a simple number which would have been the detective and again i don't even know they could have even held me at that point because there was no charge even though i was clearly their number one suspect so uh, they buzzed the door i had my private belongings i took off my girl was waiting for me right there we we raced away i popped a handful of fucking vicodin that she had (laughs) gratuitously procured and uh and I went and jumped in a bath of some hotel um, and got to, you know, explain everything. And then we started, at that time, we started realizing, all right, so she was on bail. I was on a different type of bail. She, she was on bail for, it, it's a little confusing uh, at this point right now because during this time, there was a lot of Valiums and a lot of Xanax and a lot of uh, Vicodins and Norcos because we were... Oh, and that was one of the biggest mistakes ever because I was already clean at that point of being in the Snohomish County Jail for uh, yeah, two to weeks. Get back on it, yeah. back in the mix, it's not good. Oh boy, that was a fucking regression of epic proportion. So, I mean, with all that being said, I mean, like, it's it, I have to ask, like, how do you get out of this and and to, and not have a uh, you know spend yeah your life behind bars right you know like good question um 
pretty simple answer <laughs> if there's any simplicity to this tale um so yeah so uh i guess real quickly um to touch on the indictment that i was alluding to yeah. previously um when i got the indictment uh when i was transferred from uh, snohomish county jail directly transported in shackles through oregon through cali to humble county jail by bus by no Plane? it was by a fucking armed marshal federal marshal it's like you've seen you know yeah. tommy lee jones and right. shit um yeah armed marshal in a car privately driven but there was another guy with me who also was a fucking heist man pretty crazy shit he was like 65 he was crazy he was like a mickey rourke type of fucker and uh, just bullheaded and fucking grunting fucking and he had, he would do shit with like forklifts and ATMs and shit man oh, wow. just take excavate entire fucking building walls and fucking come out with like fucking just mm, man that stories I heard well that sounds like that's we could go on a whole other crazy <laughs> tangent yeah it's so good. to avoid the yeah major, yeah let's stick to your story yeah exactly that, that guy sounds yeah. pretty interesting yeah no we'll, we'll be it's really a blessing that I meet these guys like after I'm retired because the, the shit that would have happened if I hooked up with any kind of yeah. a crew so so yeah so I got that indictment uh after i bailed out i ran around for a couple of weeks and was gonna face the arraignment uh, you know when i got out of um and so i was at that point i had a choice i either surrender because i was gonna face the drug and gun but i knew what was gonna happen as soon as i got to court and walked into court because i was on bail they were basically gonna the feds would be sitting there waiting for me because they're wondering what happened was there was a fucking a newspaper article happened after I bailed out of Marysville. That's when shit hit the fan and the feds went fucking apeshit. They're like, what do you fucking mean he's fucking right. free? Sure. He's in jail. And they're like, well, he fucking had a goddamn little pet, petty ass, you know, drugs and guns, if you want to call it that. Yeah. And they, they, they put a newspaper article. That first time we heard it, me and my girl went to a Chinese restaurant, you know, wandering around in Seattle, and we read ourselves on the Examiner in San Francisco. Remember, we're up fucking like 50 miles from Canada. Yeah. Thinking about our next move. And there it is. We read ourselves. We see our pictures, and they're like, fugitive, fucking blah, blah. Third, third suspect is on the loose. Don't know how he got out of fucking jail, but he's free, and we're on the lookout. It's a B-O-L for blah blah this guy pete and um and so then i realized shit okay well it did seem a little simpler what's than a thought. bol i'm sorry um, be on the lookout okay like an apb of course. yes of yeah, course it's a, um so so the trick is that was like a three state and i won't say it was a manhunt but i will say this when i call my closest friends my family members all the people in whatever circles that I thought that I had up till that point, which is, you know, it's a fair amount of humans, you know. I I did not get a pickup. I got people picking up and saying, who, what, who is this? I don't know you, click. Wow. I mean, I would try contacting my closest confidants only to hear them say, dude, dude, you fucked up, man. I can't help. Click. And then I was able to learn later through, you know, a few face-to-faces, like, from closest family members, dude, they'd say, dude, you got to fucking get out of here. There's been a fucking Crown Vic parked in front of our house for, like, two weeks now. You, oh my God. you have fucking shit the bed. You've screwed the pooch. Get the fuck out of here and don't you sort your shit out, mate. <laughs> they were like, yeah. dude. And this happened several times. And then I was able to 
And then I was doing some fucking pills. Like I had a Hell's Angels friend that I was shacking up with in a, in a shack, literally. Uh, of course, he eventually, like, you know, stole the cars when I was locked up later for those 11 months uh, or for the year in um, Oakland. He he went made off with my Camaro LT1. He made off with my fucking uh, Jeep Laredo because he was my mechanic. So he was like overseeing some stuff of mine when I was locked up. But when I got out, nowhere to be found. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. Uh, friends that aren't friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, basically, uh, I had the choice, and I realized uh, when I read the indictment, when I finally, okay, I surrendered. That's where it gets to, you know, getting down to brass tacks and how this all resolves, because I can go on and on about the side stories and all the tales and all the fucking days and the, the events and uh, you know, uh, it's that's basically that's day to day to day in this yeah. life. So. Um, I realized that I didn't have anyone to turn to. After all these doors slamming in my face, my girl had surrendered at that point. We had to part each other's ways in Seattle because she was on that bail, and yet her arraignment happened, and so she had to face the judge all the way down in the Northern District of San Francisco for the federal you know, crimes. She had to face them, and then she had the help of her folks to bail her out. And that's where a $200,000 bail comes into play uh-huh. um, or whatever it was. Um, and so she, her, her folks put up the house. Right. My other homie, you know, he had already been uh, 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 implicated, then subsequently arrested and indicted. And, uh, and I didn't know the details, but I know that he had some fam that, or I think his soon to be wife helped bail him out. So, okay. so basically the newspaper articles that were coming out quite consistently in the time there between were saying, okay, we have two of the suspects. We're going to get ready for trial, but we can't go to trial without the fucking third man, the masked man, the security guard, i.e. yours truly. Um, so I had, the pressure was on. I was thinking, am I going to go to fucking Canada? Am I going to go to fucking Mexico? I'm so close to Canada. I literally, at points, I was like 15, 20 miles from there. I, I don't know how far Marysville, where I was shacked up at, but um, I was staying in that northern part of Seattle. Yeah. And again, cloudy judgment. I had started jumping back on the pills and stuff. Um, although not as heavy, I was still so fucking clouded and mixed up and discombobulated from all the events. I didn't know what to do. I thought... I'm pretty sure it was a big event. I didn't know if they were going to tie in the drugs and the guns, which uh-huh. are enhanced yeah. situations. So I didn't know if I was, like you said, life away. You know, no one got hurt. But again, the threat of violence during a commission of a robbery or said burglary, that's just bad news. Anyone knows that. I'm thinking, what, 10 to fucking 25 or something? And that will make anyone consider, you know, flight. Sure, sure. Because <laughs> fighting is, doesn't seem to be an option. Anyway... I decide to fucking, I run out of pills again. I get down to Humboldt County on my own. I take Greyhound. I'm fucking paranoid. I'm thinking that there's, after I hear that the feds are basically door to door through three states, any fucking humans I know, I I decide it's it's on. I want to surrender on my own terms. I don't want to get caught up in another county jail. I don't want to get caught up halfway between here and San Francisco, meaning um, Marysville and Seattle. Yeah. So, I, uh, I, I I surrender down in Humboldt County is what I do, and that's where I meet up with you know a few friends that kind of shack me up, and and uh, one friend came and gave me some money, uh, a friend of the show, <laughs> gave me a heater and a fucking blanket, a sleeping bag when I was literally in a shack, um, 
And uh, yeah, so I'm grateful for the few friends that actually reached out or actually received my call. So there are friends that, you know, really count in a time like this, no matter what the fucking circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, and non-judgmental people in your corner is a huge thing because it wasn't like I'm a fucking mad criminal that's out to get the world and fuck everyone over. I, I, I was fucked up. I was on drugs. I was cloudy. I'd had some criminal things in the past in life, but it's all on the road to survival. Living on the street in Oakland as a child, I was forced to survive. That translates into later life stuff. You have old habits and mm-hmm. you have routines that you rely on. Times get tough, and there it is. I became addicted a few times, and that turns into desperation. So I found myself in a desperate situation now, which was get the hell, face this shit, because you're not going to be on the run, and I didn't want my two co-defendants fucking getting railroaded for this thing when I'm the one that fucking put them into this shit. Mm. They did. They were, you know, I mean, they were complicit. I mean, they, they were very much into it and even motivated the, the, the racing, um, the expediting of this, the, the execution of this um, gig, but uh, I'm the one that like, put them in the positions and basically taught them, you know, and, and you know, planned it all. So uh, I thought, I got to face the music. I, you know, I, did, I wasn't worried about them thinking or snitching or whatever because it didn't matter. I was already free. I, and if I'm on the run, I'm going. I'm going to be yeah. invisible. So I, I decide, fuck it face the music I go and I surrender myself um, in Humble County uh, and then that's from there's when I got transported with the the crazy uh, you know ATM fucking bandit and then they take us down to Santa Rita here Alameda County Jail because that's the closest to San Francisco Northern District Federal I'm in Santa Rita for a while, uh, a, a, mu- a couple of months waiting, and I do finally I get indicted, or I mean I got indicted up in Humboldt County. That's where okay. the, the 55 years came into play when I read the five different, um, the five different charges, may, ranging from money laundering to uh, crossing state lines with ten thousand dollars stolen money. S- um, used to purchase, you know, over $10,000, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so when I saw that I had 55 years, that's what threw me into a tailspin of fight or flight. And mm-hmm. I seriously considered, you know, flight. Anyway, after but I... you didn't. I didn't. You, well, and, and you so, chose the alternative, right? Exactly. Because at this point in my life, I'm like, dude, this is ridiculous. I fucked up major fucked up royally I've gotten by in life so many times and been implied implicated mm-hmm. and I beat cases I've gotten things expunged I've been you know and I've you know I've been smart and I've been luckier than shit but uh, at this point I felt my luck ran out and uh, I think it was due to the drugs and that was a realization I had to make and basically commit to like I need help I was fucked up and um, uh, and so I'm willing to pay whatever consequence that's it so because I was tired. I was tired of being fucked up. I was tired of running. Sure. I was tired of being alienated by my own loved ones. That was the worst part That's of it. That's got to be so heartbreaking. Yeah. It was like a lonely solitude that is as bad as anything, really. But that's got to come with committing any kind of large-scale crime. That's what it is. Like That's what I'm hoping when people listen to this. Like If they may have that option, Like they, that's like the... The, that's a given is alienating people um becoming isolated uh running out of resources very very quickly yep. you know and having to make desperate decisions yeah. and, you know like it's yeah. um I, I gotta give it to you i mean um I, I while i don't condone what you did like i mean um i do 
I'm glad that like you're able to kind of uh, um, take your case in your hands and somehow make it work for you, right? Well, yeah, and thanks. I appreciate that too. That's why I've always considered you a good friend because we, we, I think we have a lot of understanding and we have a lot of similarities as far as creativity and we've had a lot of history and um, mm -hmm. I'm glad you're giving me uh, this opportunity because as uh, you probably stated uh, on maybe the first part of this thing, I, I haven't gotten to you know, quote unquote, state my case. I, I haven't told the story. I mean, I've told it to my friends and, you know, some family uh, because they deserve to know what's going sure. on. And I don't, there's no ego in this anymore. It's, uh, I had to humble myself and walk myself into a police station and yeah. basically give up potentially for years and years. And this is where I got so fucking lucky um, because doing that, I surrendered and I had to say I need help uh, as far as the system and drug wise I needed social and emotional help I needed guidance I needed things that I was just too proud and too fucking ego centered to even acknowledge mm -hmm. and you know that's what's gotten me in trouble in my life and bad decisions but it it was a time when I realized there was people on the line now that were taking the rap for something that it was my fucking brainchild yeah. uh, for lack of a better term so um yeah i end up getting uh put into the federal as i was talking earlier about the federal uh lockdown for the east bay not santa rita santa rita is the county jail one of the yeah. worst in the entire country it's been on fucking lockdown uh you know tv cable networks have had that place i've seen multiple uh people that i've been incarcerated with cellmates with pod buddies uh, they've been on there it's i'm quite glad frankly that i didn't see my ugly mug on that fucking show yeah, because it's bad enough the amount of infamy that comes from the media and the hype and the bullshit that i had to um you know that i i didn't suffer that i had to endure that i had to face because everything that came from the this situation i deserved and probably even more uh, but i have paid dearly and sacrificed immensely uh to your point about family and loss and trust and um and just reputation i mean as someone that doesn't fancy myself an educator i have educated people and i've been a mentor and a counselor um to you know thousands of kids and my goal before any of any of this stuff before any drugs before even college i always thought i i, I really love like you know the hope of things being better in the world and so that's why i became a teacher that's why i was a camp counselor for several summers and, mm -hmm. and so all that to say i realize i'm a pathetic pointless idiot that was out for his own fun and party and granted i was a musician and i had great messages that i feel i was expressing creatively i also in the last legs of my solo uh endeavors career i was also falling and regressing into um subject matter that was not characteristic of me like uh -huh. the girls and the drugs and the guns and the parties and the fucking cliche ass bullshit that pretty much is running fucking rampant on all the airwaves and the videos and the fucking mumbling bullshit that is somehow described or defined as hip-hop which mm -hmm. it's I'm baffled I'm dumbfounded by what's what's what garbage is you know plaguing the generation so bottom line i needed to turn i turned the corner and i uh, I, I faced it and i fought that fucking case um you know for the next 12 months and and uh it 
what I knew is they, they, they had enough evidence. And although I say the whole manufacturing and this and that of evidence and, and, you know, kind of twisting things into what story they needed to convict me, the bottom line is I was guilty. Yeah. And I knew I was. And I was playing the fucking game, and they even thought there was a fourth uh, member in this crew uh, that I always had. I was the one manufacturing um, different stages and making them think there was a different getaway driver and a different masked man. I had them thinking that I was a fucking driver and that there was the guy that was in the video, all those security fucking... Um, the security guard, uh, the false one, they thought maybe that was a different guy. And I had, you know, my own lawyer thinking that. So again, the whole time I was playing stuff, but really that was strategy that I was using to, you know, bolster my case to maybe get free. But in the end, I had to cop to it because I wasn't going to go to trial. I knew that I didn't have a chance because I just, felt it and I could have fought it and the damn good chance if I had fought it we know what would have happened I would have gone to jail for several years um there was like I think there was like if I went to trial it seemed like the whisper was like a mandatory minimum of like five years and that's still kind of conservative yeah um the guidelines which are the federal guidelines for sentencing uh, are this in a nutshell um, it's a graph, and it's just like any graph you see where across the, you know, horizontal line on the top, it, it starts with, you know, uh, uh, your type of crimes in your past history. So basically the first box is, you know, uh, no felonies ever, which I happen to fall in that first first section, that first um, cube. Uh -huh. And then the second one is like, okay, a couple felonies. The third one's like mini felonies or, and yeah, so on and so forth down the line. And then the boxes on the graph that are vertical from top to bottom, that is severity of federal offense. So in this case, the first cube happened to be under 200, maybe, maybe it was 250,000. Uh, no, I think it was under $200,000. Um, and, and so for whatever magnitude the, the offense was, if it was in this case a robbery or, you know, yeah. uh, so, so I, again, fell under the minimal and then the next box down, of course, the second tier was of course, you know, half a million dollars. Then it goes to a million in the third box, then 10 million, 20, and then a billion. So, you know, like white collar crime and these Ponzi schemes, these fucking trust fund crazy heists mm -hmm. and right. and uh, you know that shit that those are the ones that are the the, the big the big 20 30 year locked in frontal so i just so you ended up doing how long well i got i being that i was in the lowest um of the guidelines on both my past experience my, my, my past uh, record which was basically null and void non-existent and then under the fucking threshold so as far as, uh, I guess, my Cody's, you know, I did concern about them. I felt a, a fair amount of responsibility for their well-being and their uh -huh. future. I mean, my girl, she was freaking a softball star in a few colleges. And, you know, she was a fashion aspiring artist, a fashionista, designer. And um, so I felt, you know, we were in love and we had a great thing going, even though it was kind of, you know, like Requiem for a Dream style. Hey, yeah. sounds like it. Yeah. But um, so anyway, we all we all agreed to kind of, even though yeah we were all in the same uh, boat, but we actually were going separate because they wanted to try us all together. But there's a whole different thing that goes with that, and we can get railroaded as a group together. Kind of once you commit to a group, I mean, um, 
but what they want to do, they want to separate you so they can kind of attack each one, play against, play each one against each other. Right. But we stayed as a, a, a unified, you know, um, um, defendant uh, for the whole time. Even though we had we had our separate, I had a lawyer, a court appointed lawyer. My gal had a fucking uh, um, private lawyer who was a, a, a Nimrod, and then my buddy, he had a fucking public defender. So they were all in, um, in you know, they all talked, they all conferred, and sometimes we were not agreeing so much on the game plan, but basically it came down to we were all going to, we weren't going to win, and that was me. I knew we weren't going to win, and my lawyer was a badass. He used to be a prosecutor. He convinced me, too, there was no way to win, and just from history, if you look at it, you can't fucking right. beat the feds. So I said... I've already been sitting this thing out for a fucking year and uh, a year, almost a year. And I realized, like, I there were opportunities over the course of that year that I could have got bailed out. Um, you know, once things started slowing down and the newspaper articles stopped, yeah. there were opportunities. I, as the months and months passed and I was comfy, you know, as comfy as you can be, um, finding a case inside, even though that's not prime. <laughs> you need to be out there and you're playing clothes and stuff. But the bottom line is, I was like, well if this is a year for uh, fucking my crimes and uh, yeah, maybe we can like get this on paper as part of a, a plea bargain and sure enough the, they you know the co-defendants you know were you're cool with it they realized that fighting it especially with their counsel was not going to be conducive to the overall outcome and we all concurred that plea deals we would have to be listened to and entertained and that's what happened we all took deals um so we all together went down individually but as a ship and uh, which i think was the best case scenario because i was damn near close to doing time served uh, i think by the time i signed the deal i was in jail less than a month after that because you sign for a year and a day which means on a year and a day if you do more than a year then you'll get good time yeah. uh, which people seem to think that uh, the jail or federal doesn't give you good time time for good behavior but that's contrary because I know I'm a living fucking you know uh, example of yeah, it, how long did you end up going in for uh, I think I was I was I think I did maybe 11 months I'm thinking but there was the trap I think I, I want to I'm pretty sure it was like 85 percent of mm -hmm. a year and a day so and I, I you know I'm have a calendar scrawled out somewhere at some place, which, you know, is fine if I never see it. But, um, yeah. and so then my Cody's had their, uh, deals, um, which the, my, my gal, she had this, I think she had the same as me. She got the exact same year and a day, which she did in a federal women's camp here in Dublin. Um, and then she had some bumps and bruises along the way, uh, you know, with drugs, unfortunately, and shoplifting. So she hadn't learned her lesson like many of us do. Uh, I had been down this road for so many years. It was it was time. It was the end of my career, uh, effectively, and still is, mm -hmm. fortunately. But Good. Um, thanks. But my uh, the guy he um, he got tagged with a little bit more because he was, of course, unfortunately, he was tagged the mastermind. And the reason he couldn't escape that designation was because he was caught literally red-handed, hand in the cookie jar. He he was the security, head of security at this casino, and therefore he was in a power position. And consequently, um, as a power position being abused, he gets extra time. Yeah. And unfortunately, when he pled, he got a little more time. 
Um, not even double the time, but where did he serve in Humboldt? Uh, I don't. I'm not sure. No, uh, not humble. It was a federal. Oh, he federal went to a jail. federal. So he basically, Pelican they both Bay. did okay. Because she was in a camp, you know, outdoor free running around, work and stuff. And he was in Club Fed, wherever that was. But he yeah. had all the perks and all the goodies of a nice, comfy. And me in the goddamn fucking hardened um, Bay East, East Bay, Oakland, downtown. I think they've even shut that down, that place down since is what really? I just heard recently. So no, wow. no, no, no tears for that occurrence. So that's the, in the nutshell. And so since then, I mean, I, I, I got out and I, I, I voluntarily went into the halfway house because knowing myself, knowing I had no family and friends and no money, I was yeah. broke as shit. I said, I need a place to live. That's not on the street. Right. When I get out, it's cause I was going to try and hit the ground running. But the reality is, you, you, you can't hit the round is hit the streets in in a sprint if you don't have shoes and a jogging seat I had nothing right, right. so I decided to just get into the halfway house there um, Turk and Taylor 111 Turk Street and um, and work my ass off I got a job you know within a couple weeks uh, and Joe's Crab Shack <laughs> at corporate and uh, I was making real good money with all the tours I said I wanted to be a server because I need to get cash quick yeah and uh, and then, uh, so I've been you know doing doing that for you know many many years i've been writing music i've been able to you know start a couple of bands uh and um I, you know i'm doing my art and everything but yeah the last 10 years um 10 years plus has been uh, quite a change in my life because i've yeah. now become that you know abiding citizen upstanding uh being a retired career criminal i guess um and a retired teacher, I have a perspective that, you know, often puts my own head into, you know, <laughs> a tumultuous kind of imbalance. Uh, yeah, I think you're probably an anomaly in some regards as far as like some of your fellow inmates, uh, you know, you seem like you're more uh, ingenuitive in some senses, you know, you've always been kind of thinking on your feet. But uh, then again, I mean, Perhaps there are many other people like that inside. Yeah, there's. I know I'd have to agree on a big level. Although it's fascinating to see what is behind those walls, uh, because far too often it's assumed and the judgments hit, and you know, you get caught with something or you do something and you have a case and you become a criminal, and that's all people see. No one wants to hear what you have to say, no one cares. There's no rehabilitation. Yeah. You're basically just a fucking monster behind bars, whether it's drugs, whether you're, you are a monster, like some of the fucking freaks I unfortunately had to, you know, um, reside with for nearly a year. Um, but there are some intelligent, very sad cases of um, other te uh, teachers. I've met a few teachers and all the oh, different, wow. yeah, and, um, and, and, and you know, maybe even a professor I've met, but they've also been like, wolf in sheep's clothing i've seen guys that were you know just like and the big thing i i still take away from this is the the, the amount of knowledge that i was able to somehow you know f foster accumulate um i learned so much about the system and i you know it really was heartbreaking to see basically the, the imbalance of how the system like for instance as we all know or at least you should know by now i mean there's uh, you know some black dudes in there that you know had like a bag of uh, crack cocaine literally like 20 or 30 rocks okay wait that's not even an ounce or even if it's an ounce or more okay it's a bag of rocks 
And then you got some fucking white collar guys, some upstanding, you know, some real well to do, clean shaven, you know, whatever, blonde <laughs> and and light skinned. And he is like moved like to an undercover officer task force drug enforcement DEA and he sold like a kilo or two of either meth and I've seen guys that had like three kilos of coke and these fuckers literally had the same sentences and the same penalties as the guys that had a fucking handful of crack rocks uh, if there's that, if they're not fucking systematic oppression and like injustice, there's just and I, I saw this like over and over. No, I don't doubt that it's a fucking joke and it's it's really what's wrong with our system today. And um, you know that's I've always suspected and seen this and experienced stuff with this growing up in East Oakland. I've seen a lot of this, you know. You know but um, to see it firsthand and to watch guys going down for ten years is what I'm saying for a guy with a bag and and some of these guys were like crackheads it was literally they know they weren't like some big kingpins or yeah. if they were they were just starting out little corner guys and it's like the, the system is rigged beyond any fucking capacity of of, of comprehension mm. well i mean listen i appreciate you being as candid with with me and the listeners too because i mean you know that's a it's a super personal story you don't have to share that with people so but the fact that you're key kind of uh break it down i mean the way the way you describe it to me it just sounds like you know you it's more of a cautionary tale than anything um and uh something that you can totally learn from you know that anybody no matter where you are and uh i appreciate that aspect of it i'm glad that it sort of worked in your favor to a point where you could kind of come out the other end and get get work get a, a nice place like kind of get reestablished on your own and not like you know um you know get too caught up in the mix you know no um, that's i appreciate that man because uh you recognize and you you know me and we and uh, i said earlier we you, we've had some great experiences and i uh, got to know each other personally and the trick is that you know there's people that will see me forever and just look at me like i'm i'm an enemy and i'm the crook and the criminal and the bad guy the boogeyman whatever that's fine because i know who i am in my skin and i know i needed help and it took me many many years decades to finally humble myself and swallow the pride enough to say look okay the jig is up i need to help myself and if i ever want to do um teaching again who knows what's going to happen with my credentials and if i want to pursue a master's like my original plan i mean you know i there's so much i think you know it's a great thing that you can understand your 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 uh your your platform here is a great fucking venue for uh, education and a lot you know the edutainment so to speak because the cautionary aspect is true. I mean, I'm just a normal, everyday freaking sh- schmuck is what I like to say. Kind of like Goodfellas and Ray Liotta. Uh, At the end, he's like, all I do in this, you know, of course, he was in witness protection, but he still was, you know, he snitched on everyone, which that's different than me. But he, he basically gave up the big, the good life of the kingpin and the dawn, and he basically went into it like, I don't know, bumfuck Kansas or whatever it was, and um, Nowhereville, USA, and he, yeah. and he's like, I'm just eating, you know, marinara here is just ketchup, and noodles, and it's like, that, you know, he's just like the regular old schmuck, and like, yeah. for me, I always thought, what a boring life, how pathetic, and, 
you know, the nine to fives and the cubbies that they work in and the computers and, you know, and um, the bottom line is it's the system, it's the society we're in. And, you know, I had bigger uh, designs and, you know, this and that, but I've had a full life and I'm just blessed that I'm actually breathing and being, yeah. like you said, being able to work. I mean, working at a hard ass job and I still only, you know, work like sometimes four days a week and I have a three day weekend. I mean, what that in itself is a blessing i mean oh, when you've been in a hole then like come on like <laughs> yeah like, people have been in, like you know they've been working 40 50 60 hours a week and and i complain that i still have four shifts a week and i'm i'm making it i'm okay and i can save some money and go across to you know puerto vallarta last month and you know i'm planning to do new orleans next you know season i mean mm -hmm. i'm blessed and i'm i'm fortunate that people at least give me, you know, the opportunity and, uh, and you know, the, the outlet to ex at least explain that there's multiple ways out and it doesn't have to be self-destructive and it doesn't have to be against, so, uh, the, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be against the grain. Um, you don't have to be like living the Wild West yeah. to, you know, get some adrenaline going and some excitement. <laughs> you can do bungee jumping. You can do ropes courses and you, know, <laughs> you can do um, parachuting. I mean, there's a lot of like <laughs> wild activities that maybe I should have contemplated before, maybe. you know, pulling, you know, bigger fucking licks. And uh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, man, but you live and you learn, right? Yeah, exactly. Live and learn every day. So, yeah, it's an experience. But, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate it. It's, it's always fun talking with you, man, whether yeah. the tape's on or not. <laughs> yeah, always, dude. Right Much love. And let's do it again uh, next time when you got a project or something. Absolutely. We can, now we got this yeah. out of the way. Yeah, exactly. You know? No, no. Yeah, it's on to the creative uh, juices next on any collabos. It's, it's going to be nice, man. Good, good talking. Hell yeah. Hey diggers, this is an announcement. Episode 18 is on the way. We are in the final polish. All the bodywork, sanding, and the paint has been put on this rocket ship, so we just need that final coat to finish. Coming out of the last few episodes of the Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast that concentrated on specific geographies like London, LA, San Francisco, and New York, we are now in the home stretch of our time in the 1960s. And so with this one, it's not about a place on a map, but a year in the life. It's called Episode 18, 1969, and it's a year so big in rock and roll, it'll take two episodes to tell the full tale. Part one will cover mostly the first half of the year. We'll spend most of our time in the UK checking in with the Beatles as they are beginning to fray internally while friends and competitors, the Rolling Stones, are about to become the greatest rock and roll band in the world. Of course, the Fab Four are still able to be the Beatles, so therefore they are not going down without a fight and the Glimmer Twins must make a sacrifice to achieve the greatness of that 68-73 to 73 run of Peak Stones. Then we go beyond England and America and venture into outer space where we dissect the moonshot and how it affected society and the arts. So, like the sci-fi that surrounds the very real human endeavor, we will peek into the future ourselves with some rock and rollers that will really take us into the next decade. So hold tight. It won't be long now. It's coming, and we think you will all be pleased. Episode 18, 1969, Part 1.
tell a friend. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.